0: Hello and welcome to the Mindful Men podcast, a show helping men to open up about manhood. My name is Simon Rinney and my aim is to get men talking. From mental health to fatherhood and everything in between, Mindful Men creates a safe space for conversation. Now, before we get into this episode, I want to say a huge thank you for joining me. It means a world for you to join me and talk about men's issues and if you love what you hear please subscribe and share the episode with your mates. You can also join the conversation on Instagram and YouTube and I'd love to connect with you there but for now sit back relax and let's get mindful. G'day guys and welcome to another episode of the Mindful Men podcast. I'm your host Simon Rennie, and today we're getting mindful about self-sufficiency and sustainability as well. I'm really excited. I'm a big fan of today's guest, actually. I have to admit, I've been watching him on YouTube for a long time. I've got Mark Valencia from Self-Sufficient Me on the line. How are you going, Mark?
1: G'day, Simon. Yeah, really good. How are
0: you? I'm very well, mate. I'm just up the Bruce Highway from you, and it's bucketing down with rain, so it's probably a good day to be out of the garden and pick your brains around my garden, because I've got some plants that won't grow anything. (laughs) But Mark, you're a husband, you're a dad, but you're the man behind Self-Sufficient Me, and it's a YouTube channel with 1.85 million subscribers and it's just phenomenal. So congratulations on that huge number. I'd like to start off by finding out a bit more about you and your background and what life was like growing up. And then I understand you had a bit of time in the military, so I'd love to hear a bit about that as
1: well. Okay, no worries. One of the first things that comes to mind, not many people have asked me about my early childhood. I usually started my military career and the end of it. And then I talk a little bit about my grandfather, who was one of my mentors and one of my father figures, and also was self-sufficient himself, an ex-farmer and all that. But yeah, I haven't really talked much about my childhood. So for me, a single parent, my mother raised us. My father, he was an immigrant from Croatia. He got cold feet when I was born, so my mother sort of had me, and at that day... He disappeared and never saw him again until I was getting married. I was conceived in Lightning Ridge. So in the opal fields of Lightning Ridge, if you can imagine it, in the middle of bloody nowhere where they mine the opals. And for all we knew, he could have fallen down a shaft and mm-hmm. never be seen again, which plenty of people have happened out there. And anyway, 30 years later, one of my uncles was visiting Lightning Ridge and he was walking down the street, come across this old fella at 60, and he goes, "I know you, your buddy Mark's father." And they started talking because they'd actually came over together from Yugoslavia at the time, it was you know Yugoslavia. And he basically shamed him, saying, "You know what he's doing now? Your son's in the military. He's getting married and next week." Lo and behold, he reached out and sent us a check. For our marriage of a $1,000, which was a lot for someone who was sort of living on the quiet in the apple Fields there and not a lot of money. And then he wanted to rekindle our relationship. So we went to the Ridge, uh, my wife and I, and we had a, a young son by that time, was only about three months old and uh, stayed there in 50 degree heat. But it was odd meeting up with him after all that time. And it was kind of awkward. And it must've been really awkward for him as well because we had a good time and all that. But after that, he sort of disappeared off the map. I think he went to Melbourne somewhere, didn't return any Christmas cards and was totally gone. But I was lucky because as a young boy, I had all these other mentors around me, especially male mentors, which is important for a young boy. And I had uncles, I had my grandfather, who was pretty much my dad. And they were all good men, or still are good men. My grandfather passed away years ago, but I suppose I didn't need a dad and I'd never felt like I missed out. My mother was an extremely good mum. She still is, very caring and hardworking and juggled a lot of things to get us kids where we got. And so I had a pretty happy childhood growing up in Toowoomba. My mother did remarry and my stepfather wasn't the best either but that was brief few years and by the time I was 13 they were divorced but we had a stint in Darwin where I went to school from kindy to grade four went through cyclone Tracy um, nearly lost our roof through that storm what I remember as a young boy was my Christmas being totally ruined and you know Darwin was I think it was over 100 deaths in that cyclone and so after that we moved to Toowoomba and lived with my grandparents for many years because we were pretty poor. And my mother did her best and we crammed in with my grandparents until mum one day called me into her room and said, look, I've got something to tell you. And this was when I was about 14. She said, we won Lotto. And so it was a small win. It was about 150,000. Back then though, in the eighties, it was pretty damn good able to get a house, a car, fully furnished and move out. And from there, I wasn't the best at school. I was pretty bad at school. I wasn't a terrible kid, but I was challenging as a lot of young boys are because we just can't sit still for too long in class. That was my problem, like a lot of boys. And so I got up to mischief here and there, but I straightened myself out enough to be able to join the army, join the army as early as I could out of school. I still struggled to do my grade 12, but I got there. And uh, yeah, went in the army, had a really good 21-year career, lots of postings, several operations overseas, nearly killed me a hundred times, but I survived. I had a bad parachuting accident, lost pieces off me, lost Mm. my forearm and Ended up having to have an operation to get my left back muscle, the left latissimus needed to be completely amputated and put in and moulded where my forearm used to be. I took a big skin graft from my left thigh and put that over it. And eventually I got my feeling back in my hand and my arm and I'm fine. And I left the military to look after my boys um, because it was getting too tough to put them in childcare and I didn't Mm -hmm. want them to sort of grow up disjointed and sort of going around Australia not having a stable childhood and besides sort of the rough one I had, I felt like I had a stable childhood and I wanted them to have that as well. So in the end, I said to Nina, one of us has to get out of the military and be like the home person. And she said, well, it's not going to be me. Oh, all right, I'll do it. And I did that and to make up the shortfall, grew as much food as possible because that drop in salary was significant. From there, developed that love of making things and growing stuff. And then I found out it was helping my mental health, which was really unexpected. But it zenned me out being out in the garden. Then I realised it was a therapy for me. I enjoyed the military. I had a great career. But after that, yeah, all these good things came out of my garden, not just the food and the boys' Seeing things coming out and eating healthy and having that healthy lifestyle, but mentally I was just in a really good space, and I realised then how powerful gardening was and that creation of food and how it helped me and others. And then I wanted to share that, and so I started a blog. Then shortly after, started a YouTube channel, and then boom, it just shot up. So (laughs) there we go. I'll take a breath.
0: Wow, what a story! So much challenges and triumphs at the same time. And I want to take you back to your childhood and not having a dad around. You said you had lots of male role models in your life. Did you ever think where's dad or why did dad leave? Did it ever cross your mind?
1: Yeah, I was disappointed. I was, and I conveyed that, not always, not to my mother, but you know, to my grandfather. But they'd always say, don't worry, you've got me. Well, they didn't even have to say that. Like my mother had five sisters. And they all married and they all had strong marriages. And I had five really great uncles that they just took me under their wing. Every one of them was different, but every one of them had really good traits. And Mm. even one of them that's passed away now was an aerobatic pilot. And In my earlier years in the military, I went up to Darwin and that's where he was living because they started their business. They moved to Toowoomba subsequently, but... They started with SteelCon construction and they built a lot of Darwin, especially rebuilt it after the cyclone. And I lived with him for a few years and he was Italian born and very self sufficient himself. He liked making his own salamis. He insisted on cooking most of the time himself. He'd rather cook at home than eat out. And he had all these local connections. So I just felt like I never needed a dad because I had several of them. And whether they've naturally picked that up because of our family network or they felt sorry for me, I don't know. I just had that. So I was lucky, but then that was the older days. I think these days it's a little harder. It's a little harder to find male role models. I don't know exactly why. Maybe we're all much busier now or there's a lot more pressures, but yeah, I was kind of lucky.
0: I think we're a bit more nomadic as well these days. I'm not from southeast Queensland. I was born and raised in Adelaide. My wife, she's from Tassie and we met in Canberra. And then we've been around as well, just chasing little green pastures all over the place. And I think there's a lot of people doing that a bit more these days than they may have done 20, 30, 40 years ago. So you kind of lose that village of raising kids.
1: Yeah, I think that's a lot of truth to that. The lifestyle is a little bit more, like you said, nomadic where we do have that opportunity to be able to travel and move around more. And perhaps our village or even family is more scattered. Mm. And so you might see them at Christmas maybe, but they're not in the same area as they used to be. Yeah, yeah.
0: And I guess we've had COVID as well the last few years. So that's even disconnected people more. Physically, although we've had a bit of an upsurge in things like Zoom and all the other types of platforms, which has been handy, but certainly I think the disconnect from that original village and the traditional village makes an impact. But your mum winning the lottery, that must have been life-changing for her. Can you talk us through a bit about some of the emotions that might have come from that
1: and did that set you up? Yeah, for most of my teens then, which was at a critical time through early high school then right through, where we were borrowing and reusing clothes and nothing wrong with that. but not having our own space, having to live with the grandparents. So we felt like we are always impeding. And they were very welcoming and didn't care, but we did. So you know, my mother, of course, would always put a bid in to get maybe a housing commission place. We did have a housing commission place in Darwin, but we hadn't qualified in Toowoomba at that time. So it just came at a time when it was just, we really needed it. So... It was incredible. It was an incredible feeling to go from sort of nothing to having all this stuff, all your furniture. It was enough. It was enough just to have a little bit of a nest egg left over, but to buy a house in a good area, up top of the range in Toowoomba, have a brand new car, a good Sony stereo for me. But like Christmas was just amazing. Like She didn't win a million. Like I think there was about 10 winners on that night. And she was one of them and got 150000 But it was back then enough for a house, car and furnished and, and a good life then for several years and still struggled. Didn't have a lot of money to splash around, but was able to go on a little holiday once a year to the Gold Coast and, and go into a high rise and have an apartment there for a week. And yeah, we had a lot of things that we thought we'd never get.
0: It's amazing, I feel warm and fuzzy just hearing the story after, you know, particularly Cyclone Tracy and all the impacts of that as well and moving around.
1: But you mentioned
0: you joined the military as soon as you could. What was the draw towards the military?
1: Well, my thinking was I wasn't very well educated. I sort of squandered my high school years. I mean, I just passed maths and English and I think biology and I failed just about everything else. Physical education, I think I've got to be because I was quite physical. And I always like playing cricket and sports. So yeah, that's typical boy stuff though for most of us. We like the outdoors. We Mm. like running around and we're good at that stuff. Not so good at sitting down and studying at that age anyway. I was much better later, much Mm. more disciplined later when I was going for promotional courses. And I actually did education courses, two of them in the military. One was six weeks long and I went away to Melbourne and just did six weeks of schooling to get up to warrant officer class Mm. two, which is what I finished up as. So yeah, I educated myself later in life, but at that time I was pretty much a dropout and I was thinking, what job would I like? And as a young boy too, I would play with my little plastic soldiers and put them here and there. And I liked the tactics of the military. So I thought the army, for me, being physical, being the tactical side of things, being interesting and playing with big machines and riding in helicopters and firing weapons, I thought that it suit me, and it did. It suited me right down to the ground. And, yeah, I did well. I got promoted quickly. I returned after about six years and became a recruit instructor back Mm -hmm. at the home of the soldier. Um, I did a couple of years as a liaison officer travelling around, they call it civilian liaison unit, where you travel around the top end of Australia, visiting Aboriginal communities and pastoral owners and police and all that and let them know where the army's traveling through their areas. And most of the time, we just fished and rubbed shoulders with the locals. Mm. And for two years, we did that, traveling in four-wheel drives, all the best equipment you could have. And I did a couple of overseas deployment. I chewed sand in the Sahara Desert for 11 months. That was very interesting. That was below Morocco in the Western Sahara, around Algeria and those Mm -hmm. places, and we just traveled around the desert in four-wheel drives and just trying to keep the peace, really, and save lives, and then I went to East Mm -hmm. Timor when that blew up the first Mm -hmm. time, and then later again when the president got shot over there, we went back over. So I had a lot of good gigs, and my last unit was a signals unit. I was a squadron sergeant major. I was in charge of discipline and physical training and that type of thing, so I had a really good career, like I said, though, it was time to move on, especially mm. with my injuries and everything. I was getting older. and It was time to give back to my children and family and settle things down. I think my military helped further me. I thought it might help my YouTube career, but my robotic nature just didn't help at all. YouTube was funny for me. It took me about 100 videos to sort of become myself because I thought that being a YouTuber and My instructional background would help because I was good at giving instruction and teaching people from a soldier's way of doing it, not from like a civilian or presenter's way or a TV or, and YouTube's not even TV. So once I started relaxing is what I found I had started getting the most success on YouTube. And once I started not being so robotic and and just being myself and talking to people like they're in my backyard, people started warming to me a lot more.
0: Definitely when you pull out the dad jokes as well. When you crack a joke, I'm chuckling. My wife's just looking at me weird. And... Mm. <laughs> but you say YouTube is not so much TV, but in the modern household, like our household, for example, that's all our kids watch is YouTube. Like, yeah. We don't watch so-called normal TV anymore because we've got YouTube, we've got subscription services like Netflix True, stuff. We're the same. We've got a big yeah.
1: screen TV, but it's mostly on YouTube. Yeah, yeah.
0: and there's yeah. so much value out there you just got to find out what you're looking for as well. But I would just take you back before we get into the YouTube thing yeah. around your wife. Did you meet your wife in the military? or Tell us a bit about your relationship with her.
1: Yeah, well, at Kapuka, we were instructors together. We were recruit instructors. We met there and we had different relationships at that time. We ended up getting posted. I got posted to Sydney. She got posted to Brisbane. And then when Interfet happened, when East Timor blew up, I went over and she went over in different units. She was a medic and I was in an infantry position. I had an infantry section out and we had an outpost and we were doing some traffic control. And this high ace comes comes down the road and I just hear this, hey, Mark. And it was Nina in the back and I hadn't seen her for a couple of years. And she said, how are you going? And I said, oh, what are you doing here? Well, I'm over with this unit. And she had this cold can of Coke she hadn't opened. Uh, I hadn't seen Coke in two weeks or a soft drink or nothing. I was had my flak jacket on, weapon and helmet. And she was buzzing around in this high ace. Typical Bloomin' medics, get it easy. (laughs) And yeah, I was doing it tough. and, And she said, hey, have this. And so I grabbed it and I was just wonderful, neck and down. (laughs) And anyway, I found out where she was. And so I'd see her occasionally. And on the second last day in East Timor, when we were returning back to Australia, we had a little party. And back then, you were allowed to have a couple of beers. Then the wording was two beers per man per day kind -hmm. of thing. If you weren't on duty, of course. So it was our last night. So we broke a few rules and had more than two beers. And my company, my major, came over to me and he goes, Sergeant Valencia, need to have a word with you. I went, oh, no worries, sir. Came over, he goes, young lady over there, I don't think she'll be able to make it back on her own tonight. Would you mind giving her an escort? And I said, oh, yeah, sure, because she's a bit wobbly on her feet. And so here, me and her are in this blooming war zone, walking back to her tent. I staggered off and she told me the next day that her boss said, where have you been? What are you doing? Creeping back in here. Have you been drinking? Oh, no, no, no. (laughs) It was crook as the next morning. But then later, when we all got back, we started a long distance relationship between Sydney and Brisbane. And yeah, it was nice. It was good. And that's how we yeah got together. And then later we, we married.
0: Yeah, yeah, wonderful. And then you had kids. How old are your kids? Uh, well, now they're
1: 19 and 16. The youngest, he's got one more year left of school, grade 12. And my eldest is now working for me on our YouTube. I'm trying to establish a second YouTube channel. Well, we've established it, but I want to do more work on it. And it's kind of a spin-off from Self Sufficient Me. It's called Self Sufficient Me, and it's a okay. fishing channel. So he'll be running that and I'll keep running self-sufficient me. Uh, So it's a pretty cool job for a young fella to be able to come out of school and go straight into a YouTube channel and doing something he's loved ever since he was a toddler, and that's throwing a line in. So he's very excited about it. We've been working hard behind the scenes to get it to a point. It really taken a lot of work to get us to this point. But yeah, that's what the two boys are doing. And next year, Luke looks like he's going to go to university and do a, a film course there. So he'll do that three-year film course. That's what he wants to do. Whether he wants to work for his old man and the family, I don't know. But that's up to him. But James did a few online courses and mm-hmm. he's kind of self-taught like I am and didn't want to go to uni. But the youngest fellow wants to do it all professionals. and we're all for that.
0: And so like thinking back to when you became a dad and the journey
1: since then, what does it mean to you to be a father? I think it's pretty much like not everyone can be one and I understand that. And I don't want to ever come across like if you don't have children, it's something bad because that's just life. And also people might not want to have children and that's their decision. But for me, I feel like that that is the sort of Holy Grail of life the meaning of life is to have children for me it's the perfect thing have children influence them put a bit of you in them hopefully the best bits mm. and watch them grow be lucky enough if you can to watch them grow and then have their own kids and just that for me is the pinnacle of life have some grandchildren and then die happy yeah,
0: yeah. well you're disappointed not to have
1: a girl Oh, kind of. Yeah. But well, we would have liked to have a third, just didn't happen for us. It would have been nice to have a girl. I reckon she would have been a top 10 tennis player for sure.
0: Growing up, I had three brothers, or well, I have three brothers, you know, they're still around, but it was a very testosterone driven household. And yeah. so then when we had kids, me and my wife, we had a boy first, and then we had a little girl. And she is just like a little princess. She's daddy's oh. little princess. And it's different because I haven't grown up around young kids. My wife, she's got a really big extended family. So there's been lots of kids, lots of girls. But for me, it's like brand new territory trying to figure out that and be a dad to a little girl. It's a, it's a pretty amazing um, journey. It'll be
1: fantastic. yeah Yeah, yeah, but she's got a bit
0: of attitude already she's only three she's going on 16 pretty quickly (laughs) oh yeah (laughs) and she's got a voice on her like you wouldn't believe like an opera singer like she could belt out like some notes when she's angry (laughs) i bet so you finished in the military and and you touched on a bit of mental health and and talking off there about ptsd and i don't want you to go too deep into that to trigger you or anything like that just share a bit of the impact of Your PTSD and then getting into your garden and what that felt like to actually get the hands in the dirt and and use that as a therapeutic approach?
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. Well, I had several incidents. I mean, one of them, I was jumping out of a plane. We had all our combat equipment on. We were training in the middle of New South Wales, about an hour from Wagga. And the young fella in front of me booked at the door, and the rest of the guys in our stick pushed me over the top of him. Long story short, my static line was looped and caught around my wrist and I was still connected to the plane kind of thing and so when my shoot opened and sucked me out I slammed against the door or the side of the plane or something the arm was completely spiral fractured the shoulder was torn off the pectoral major was torn from the mm-hmm. arm because it was such a big force but the actual breaking of the arm in a spiral way loosened my grip which was lucky otherwise my arm possibly could have been torn off. And then I probably would have bled out by the time I hit the ground, oh. according to the surgeons. But that didn't happen. It got loose and I got sucked out. So I was out this out just plane. I didn't know what happened initially. I just went all numb and I was trying to collect my thoughts. And then I saw the blood squirting out and everything and realized my arm wasn't working. So I was trying my best with my left arm. Luckily my shoot had opened because I wouldn't have been able to pull my reserve. And I remember one guy floating towards me and the drill is to yell out, pull away, pull away, so you can pull away and miss the guy. But I was pretty much numb and I couldn't not Mm -hmm. do anything. And so he just missed me. And when I hit the ground, I ended up coming in very much uncontrolled. I hit the airstrip, which was damn hard, and busted both my ankles and my coccyx, but survived. And the nearest guy that dropped near me saw I was in trouble, came over got my head up and, and looked after me until the medic arrived. The medic got to me. They called an ambulance. The ambulance broke down on the airstrip. It yeah. just nearly got to me. Uh, I remember the sergeant saying, oh, the ambulance is nearly here. Hold on, you know. And then it just didn't go. And I lost consciousness. And then later they told me that the ambulance done a clutch cable coming in and they had to call another ambulance. And so they took me then to Wagga. They stabilised me there. And they just fixed the bones, I had brilliant surgeons all the way through. Then they had to take me to Sydney to do all this magic surgery where they remove a muscle from one spot, put it on the other. And yeah, it took me about 10 operations and a good two years to recover from that incident. Then there was a couple of incidences overseas on operations. And then the overall, and I want to stress this, if you're in a really stressful job, so you might be in the army or the military, you're on high alert all the time, you in the police force, you might be in a high stressful blooming corporate position or a nurse or something like that that's seeing a lot of trauma and you're under a whole lot of stress. If you're at stress a lot and it's abnormally long hours that you're under stress, that can affect you. You don't have to be a soldier on the battlefield. You you don't have to be seeing a lot of terrible stuff to get mental health problems or to get post-traumatic health problems or disorder. Mm. You can be anyone and get that from just sheer high stressful situations. And so I like to say that because there's a lot of people that haven't served on operations in the military and did a long career and still have PTSD Mm. because they're in a very stressful job for a long time and it's just taken its toll. And for me... The problems I have is public places, and I've got to get over these phobias or whatever you want to call it, these stresses that trigger me off. Like at a restaurant, got to hit the entrance because i got to know what's going on and who's coming in and out because there could be bad guys. I can't get that out of my head. So you're in hyper alert a lot of the time. And it just depends on what mental health issues you've got and how they came about and and all that. So I've got those types of problems. Luckily, my family and friends all know it because I've been very open about Mm -hmm. it. And that's the best thing you can be is just open, almost jovial about it, accept it. And that way, they'll help you deal with it. So it's really easy for me. If we go out for a dinner, people will leave that chair open for me. I'll be the last one in and there'll be a chair pointing back towards the entrance. And I'll feel always comfortable with that. Look, sometimes it's not appropriate to be able to do that and I get over it. And I'll sit down there, but people will know and we can have a joke about it. You know, your back's to the entrance mark. Yeah, righty, eh? You know. <laughs> but it all that helps to mm. be open and talking about it. And so I've got a number of those types of problems that yeah. you're always dealing with. But getting out into the garden. I just didn't expect that to help me. Towards the end of my military career, the last 12 months, I just needed to get out. So I would leave the barracks at lunch. I would leave and I'd go find a park and I'd just have quiet time for an hour. And then I'd go back to work. And then I started on the weekends or after work, spending a few hours out into the garden And I realized, like you said, getting your hands dirty. I don't wear gloves where possible. Getting my hands dirty, smelling the earth, it just zened me out. And I started to realize it really calmed me down. And Mm. if I was feeling ever stressed, I'm going to be straight outside if I'm at home. Straight outside, get into the garden. Now I know what to do. I'm happy in 15 minutes. And I just think that it's that nature thing. It might not just be the garden. It could be a walk on the beach if you're nearby. It could be a walk in the park. Whatever calms you down, it's that nature thing. It's that human need for smelling the fresh air and getting away and getting out into nature that that I think helps a lot with mental health issues and all that. That's the best way I can describe it. Mm -hmm. And then later, uh, doing the YouTube thing, I get a real lot of help myself by helping other people. I get a really good satisfaction out of getting that feedback, that Mark, I feel really good. I started a garden actually for mental health reasons because you said so. And I was blown away. You know, you've saved my life. I mean, that's pretty amazing. I've got probably a hundred of those emails of people just starting a garden for the heck of it and having a good time. But there's others that, ex-servicemen and that that have actually written to me and said starting a garden saved their life that is great it
0: certainly does wonders i remember when covid was here and we were all locked down and we'd make an effort with the kids to go out and find grasshoppers in the garden and ladybugs and stuff like that and just slow down and and get out of the house and and it was a really relieving thing our little fella he'd get a freezer bag and put all the grasshoppers off of my, my lime and lemon tree because we thought, oh, they're going to kill it. So we'd put them in the bag and then we'd take them out the front and it would release them onto a tree out the front yard. And we'd do that every day, maybe even several times a day just to get out. And it was just such a a nice thing to do. It was yeah. a grounding thing to do. Good for the mental health to breathe that fresh air as well. And then in 2020, I experienced burnout. So I had a high KPI job in the public service, or white collar job. And I burnt out doing that and studying and we had the COVID stuff as well, plus my own mental health journey. Yeah. And I remember getting out into the backyard and part of my recovery was just weeding and just, you know, getting into garden beds and weeding. And then after watching your video on pineapples, now we've got a whole, like a million pineapple heads yeah. <laughs> all just dashed around the garden. And my I wife's have... like, Simon, stop planting pineapples. I'm like, they're the easiest thing to grow. They're so
1: easy. Yeah. Good on you. I mean, yeah, that's what I was talking about before. You don't have to be on the battlefield and see a whole lot of horrible arms and legs missing to suffer mental health at an Mm. extreme level from being in any job that you're highly stressed. You've got deadlines. You've got a lot of pressure on you. That can really take its toll on you physically through the stresses mentally, you know? Yeah. And uh, I'm glad to hear that you got out into the garden and you felt that way. And it was a great idea. You know, I don't generally kill our pests either. I'll let the birds and that do that, but I'll relocate big grasshoppers and stuff. I won't squash them or I'll shoo them off and let the kookaburra grab that. I don't want to know about it, but that's good to hear. It's a good method. You're saving a plant, but you're also not destroying anything in nature. Let something else take that. Probably relocating it will disrupt them. And Mm. the birds would probably eat those grasshoppers. But that's the simple things that you can do that sends good messages, makes you feel better. And yeah, just so good for mental health. And it's such a simple thing to do.
0: Absolutely. And even the the ladybirds and holding them in our hands and letting them crawl over our fingers and all that was a really cool thing. Because it was probably what? three and a half, four at the time. So he got a real big kick out of that. And then for the next Christmas, he got like a little insect capture thing and, and used those with the magnifying glasses. So it was a really cool age to yeah. explore the garden like that. But for anyone listening, like you've really got to check out the YouTube channel because you have an amazing garden. Like you've got a bit of space. We're not talking suburbia here. Is there a favourite part that you have in the garden that you love to go and be in or is it all like your favourite or is it like
1: one little corner or one plant in particular
0: that sticks out to mine?
1: I like the different rooms in our outdoor garden. So you've got a main orchard on the right-hand side, but three acres isn't that big because one acre is totally treed and mm-hmm. that's where we've got our chickens. And then the, the top acre, you've got the house and shed and everything on it. And so all around that, we're planting as many fruit trees in that as possible so they're sort of surrounding it and we've cut out a few ornamentals lately to put out the front yard and we've got to replace those ornamentals with fruit trees as well Nina said yesterday well if you put another few fruit trees there you're gonna have just neighbors or people coming along they'll just be picking it (laughs) along our fence line I said yeah wouldn't that be good why not pick an orange I don't care yeah so it's nice to have that orchard side and you walk through and I've Deliberately made it ad hoc. It's not structured at all. I've got fruit trees everywhere and they're not all the same. Like they're not all citrus grouped together. They're just like a forest. It's like that true fruit forest where you walk in and every tree is different. There's guavas, there's lime trees, oranges, mangoes, and they all fruit at different times of the year. And so you've got fruit all year round. There's about 150 different varieties we're trying to plant in there. Exotics, natives, the bush tucker plants, native limes. And then you've got in the middle a fairly structured raised bed veggie garden that looks like a bit of a jungle at the moment because of all this <laughs> extra rain. Not just with the weeds, but the plants. Like we've got some gourds and that that have just self-seeded. They're growing like, like the jungle out there, like crazy you could swing off some of those vines like Tarzan, you know, but it's just nice to have that structured raised beds. I don't have to bend over as much getting older and all my injuries. It's nice to be able to garden standing up. And then you've got around the peripherals on the sides near the shed, you've got other areas where all fruit trees are. I've got an avocado area behind our shed because it gets a bit of shade and and I've mounded it right up because we've got clay soil. I'm trying to grow avocados because as soon as that tap hits the clay, they die. So over the years, I've worked out that I needed to raise them right up, not just a little bit. And so I've got that experiment going. And then as we go all the way down, we've got banana trees and then the chicken area down the back, which is a treed area, completely electrified so that the foxes and wild dogs don't get in. And it's like chicken heaven down there. And we've got some quail and chickens. We used to have ducks, but I gave the ducks away. I just uh, got sick of it over the last decade. They're just so stinky and messy. They're lovely (laughs) birds, but I just think chickens and quail is a little easier and less messy. So we've just stuck with that. But it's a lovely area down the back to Zen out and just watch the birds, you know, have a really good time with plenty of area to roam and eat grass and find crickets and slugs and snails. And I've even got a bit of a water garden down the back there as well where I've got a raised pond which used to be our old duck pond a ramp and they used to go in there and and swim in that especially the ducklings but then yeah we got rid of the ducks so what did I do with this water pond I started to grow some taro and arrowhead plants in there some edibles and that's worked out quite well growing bog plants in that and it's given me some more ideas on on what else to grow I'm always trying to find new plants and and new varieties of things to grow. So there's just lots going on. So all these different rooms that you can walk into and through. just You could walk around the garden for hours, and I do that.
0: Yeah, and I love the fact that you've been videoing it for a few years now to see the evolution of the garden as well, and you started off with some shorter veggie patch areas and then you've gone to the raised ones as well because I love going back to watch the old stuff first and then start coming through just so you can see that evolution And, and it's a good reminder that we don't have to have it perfect from day one we can start small and build up from that way what's been some of the biggest challenges with the garden in terms of its structure or even the plants or seasons yeah probably
1: finding the right season you can grow things all year round and that can be a good thing but it also can be quite tricky because you can say grow lettuce or start lettuce and tomatoes off in summer here, they won't grow very well. If you're in a really cold climate, they won't germinate. So mm-hmm. it tells you those four different distinct seasons in a normal, say, temperate climate or a cold climate will tell you when you should be starting things. And If you get it wrong, those things don't grow. Whereas here, you can start things off and then they'll suffer and they won't produce very well. So trying to get that balance right and finding exactly when and when not to. When you have a late winter like us, coming into summer, like our spring has been cooler than usual. Our tomatoes are growing a lot better now than they would have last year. So you've sort of got to roll with the climate a bit and try to work with it as well. So that can be fairly tricky. Um, Having poor soil, which most people have, is a tricky thing as well because when i first started growing i just bung trees in everywhere and started losing money <laughs> yeah. fast because they yes. were dying you know 30 dollars an avocado tree it was starting to get very expensive until i started working out that avocados don't like clay soil and certain other plants do and they don't so where to plant where mm. how much topsoil have i got in that spot that's a better place for that tree and and then you work things out so that was challenging for me for the first five or so years and even spacing plants out in that i've got some early pictures of my garden where i've got lettuces they're spaced out like a meter apart i mean it's like what poor use of a garden bed is that you idiot don't you know how big a lettuce grows and of course i didn't back then and there's like a desert between all these lettuces. and These days, I've grown a lot closer. They help each other out. They shade each other out a bit. It's better for the harsh sun, especially through our spring coming into summer, you can get that last crop in. So I've understood a lot more about spacing and about what to grow when and soil. So all these important things and sunlight, yeah. where to plant things that get enough sun. So sun, soil and timing, I think are probably the three big ones.
0: Yeah, you're a firm believer in talking to plants because I've had a stern word to my my lemon and my lime tree. I don't know what it is about lemon and lime trees, but they never grow any fruit. And so this year, I said to my lime tree, my lemon tree, they're both next to each other. I said, if you don't start growing this year, you're out next year. Oh. And now it's growing lemons, but my lime tree is dragging its heels. So, you know, do you talk to your plants? Are you one of those people?
1: The good old threat. I was invited to give a talk to this church hall. About 100 people or so turned up. It was really nice. It was a really lovely chat and everything. And this lady put her hand up and she said, exactly what you said. Do you talk to your plants? And so I'm starting to get this question quite a bit. And she said, I do. And she said exactly the same thing. I had a plant that wasn't performing. And I said, this is your last chance. and then it started growing. And uh, we just don't know, do we? We don't know enough about plants. And over the years, people have always talked about, do you talk to plants? Does it make a difference? And well, I do, I'm always talking when I'm out in the garden. I don't know if I've ever laid down a threat, but that'd be a good video.
0: It's literally because I've seen a lot of videos where I guess researchers play music to plants and one might be heavy metal, one might be classical and just seeing the difference. And for some reason, in some of the videos I've seen, it just helps them to grow. I don't know if there's any science behind that, but yeah, there's some interesting videos out there. And that's why I thought I'd bring it up. And then I was actually shocked to find out that the lemon tree was growing lemons all of a sudden. It must have heard me.
1: (laughs) Well, maybe in a 100 years' time, there'll be evidence that plants can understand in some way. We don't know. But that's interesting about the music. I mean, it just depends on the plant, doesn't it, whether they're like heavy metal or classical. it would be interesting to see those results. Yeah, that's kind of where I got the idea to hurl abuse at this lemon tree. <laughs> yeah, but we do. I talk to plants just because that's part of the therapy too. And why not? And maybe you're sharing your own thoughts out aloud uh, and that, and you're sort of including the plants in with it, maybe that's where that sort of saying or or myth came from, that you can talk to your plants and they listen. But it's yeah. an interesting subject, isn't
0: it? Oh, definitely. And so thinking about you're an amazing garden, and I'll put the links in the show notes so people can click on it and check it out. What made you take a video camera out there and start recording?
1: Yeah, it was that want to get some information out because the way it started was Nina my wife, we would have a Barbie and I would be making like a preserve or sauerkraut or something, or I'd be growing tomatoes and people would ask me with pretty much the same questions. How'd you make this? How'd you grow that? You know, what are your sort of growing tips for that? And one night after the Barbie, Nina said, Mark, look, I don't mind you talking about gardening and everything, but I'm hearing the same thing over (laughs) and over. All this long, convoluted conversations, the same thing. Can you do me a favor, get a website and just put down your recipe on how you made that. This is how I grew those tomatoes. And then you can say, oh, if you want to know how to grow them, go to my website. I've written about it there. And here's how you make that jam that you liked. Go there. And then the conversation's sort of over and we can talk about something else. And I went, that's a bloody good idea. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I started documenting that. I did a website builder thing and I made my own terrible looking website, but it was good for me. And I'd spend hours trying to learn how to change the color of this part to make this work and to make this font. But then, yeah, people would then just go to my website and I'd point them in that direction. And that's how I started thinking, well, maybe video would be good. And I was growing our own quail at the time and my first YouTube video, I think it was the first one, was on how to cook a quail on a Weber because we had a Weber and I could cook a pretty decent quail and we were home growing them. And that's where I got the camera out, a really cheap camcorder, put it on a stand, and I had it all in my head thinking, well, I'm an ex instructor. Switched the camera on, went behind, had everything squared away, I looked into the lens and just froze. Could not think because it was weird looking at a camera and not person. If there was a person standing there, I could talk and tell them what I was doing. But because I was looking always back at a camera, it just threw me off. I just couldn't get over it. And so that video, I did put it up because I still thought you just gotta do it, do it and try to get better at it. And there's this how to cook a quail video and it's so badly cut as well. My editing was crap too back then. I'm still learning, but it it just looked like Mark the Robot (laughs) frightened chicken trying to cook a quail. It was a horrible video, but I think a few hundred people watched it and it just gave me some inspiration to just want to get better at that then and started the YouTube channel and just kept on starting to then video things that I thought people might've been interested in and then giving that information out wasn't anything yeah. about making money in those days. It was, you know, the early days was just getting information out. And and then it was a few years later, I was then starting to think, hang on, I've got 10,000 followers. Maybe this could be a career for me. It'd be great if it was. You know, I was thinking how awesome would it be if I could sort of etch another career in my lifetime oh. and especially doing something that I love, growing vegetables, and I'd still be able to stay home and still be able to sort of have that type of own business and that flexibility, but then just giving out information. And I really had my fingers and toes crossed that I could do it. And so I really got stuck into it. And I did long hours for several years, I think it was five years or so before I had any real success on YouTube. Can you pinpoint that moment when success came? Yeah, I had about 10,000 subscribers. And I got to that point, well, it was like, do or die. Really, I got to a point where Nina was doing two jobs. The boys were old enough then to be able to take care of themselves. They're still at school on that, but look, I couldn't justify staying at home. I at least have to get a part-time job to help mm-hmm. Nina out a bit with the finances. We were struggling financially, and so I made that video saying, "Look, basically, I'm I'm not making anything out of YouTube. So what I've got to do is get a part-time job, which will mean that I'm going to have to." to cut back on my YouTube videos. I love doing it. I wish I could do it forever, but it's not practical. I got a big heap of support out of that. Lots of people wrote to me and commented and emailed me and said, oh, Mark, you know, like they offered even money and all that, but I didn't take any money or anything, but they offered ways like, could you sell your produce? Could you do that? And it was really lovely and humbling. But I was still in the sort of mindset that we had to really do that. But anyway, a friend of ours was having his wedding in Scotland and that we got an invite to that wedding. It was a fantastic wedding. But on the way over, we stopped in Dubai and I switched on my mobile phone. We went into McDonald's and I got onto the Wi-Fi and my phone just went nuts because yeah. it would saved up for this time for the, oh, that flight it was going ding 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 like all these messages and like Nina said who the hell's messaging you <laughs> I said I don't know what the hell's going on so I'm looking at all these phone going crazy and it was YouTube and it was congratulations you've got your first thousand likes on a video congratulations you've got your first thousand subscribers in one day and it just went crazy and I had to look back six months earlier and this is when I started to loosen up. I was so robotic. And one day I was out in the garden, I was at the lemon tree. It was full of fruit. And I wanted to talk about this tree. And I was going to give pointers in the same sort of style. And I went, you know, I'm so tired of doing it that way. I mean, I'm just going to be myself. And I looked at it and I said, what about just five tips on how I grew a ton of lemons? And so I stood in front of that video, the tree in the background, and I thought, well mulch is one of them you know fertilizer is another and I just put that together I was really loose I was having fun with it kind of didn't care and yeah that was six months earlier went on this holiday somehow the algorithm picked that video up when we were on that flight and it went viral for me for my channel and it was like hundreds of thousands of views in a day and before I knew it you I mean, uh, know six months from that, I had 100,000 subscribers and I was well on my way.
0: Wow. I remember those five top tips to make a ton of everything. And I've watched, I think, most of them. I haven't Mm -hmm. made a ton of anything, but I've got a couple bags at least of things here and there. But yeah, they are amazing. And your videos where you're joking and you're putting in that personality, they're really refreshing to watch from, I guess, from a gardening show as well. It can be a bit stiff and and a bit scientific sometimes, but yours is just real it's like watching anybody go out in their garden and just go about their day. And it's a great watch. And I, I love it. And that's why I was so pumped when you said, yeah, you want to come on the show and just have a chat because I've been watching you for a few years now. And when I saw 1.85 million, I'm like,
1: wow. <laughs> oh, well, I appreciate that, mate. But yeah, it is a bit surreal that how many kind people would follow me and not just follow me, but yeah, you know, consume my content and then Comment and send me emails and even seeds and stuff and gifts and that. You know, I still got to pinch myself every day. It's just really nice. It's a dream come true for me and my family because now my wife is employed by me. I called her at my PA and she said, No, no I'm not. I'm your chief operations officer. And then my son is working for me. And so it's now turning into a family business. And doesn't feel like a business it it just feels like a whole lot of blooming fun and uh, yeah it's a dream come true and it's all because of people giving me the time of day out in wherever they are on their phones on the train at home on the big screen tv and that's not lost on me and it never ever will be lost on me that the only reason i'm a success is because they've let me become one
0: congratulations and i'm excited to see how the fishing show comes up as well that's really exciting in queensland you seem to either have a gardening show or a fishing or a four-wheel driving show so you could probably do all three in one that'd be a amazing feat mark i could talk to you all day a few more yeah. questions and i'll let you go yeah, um, sure. so for someone who's thinking about starting a home garden and they're not really sure where to start what's something that can get them going
1: i'd really like to advise to grow in raised garden beds Because then you don't have to think about your soil. You can put a whole heap of organic rubbish in the bottom. And most people have that in their garden. Mm. They need to do some pruning in trees and that. And they can throw that into the base and that saves on fill. And then you can get some good premium soil from a a reputable garden place and get that in. And there's a quick way to have a raised garden bed that's got already good organic sort of start in it. And you know it's going to grow good premium veggies in it because it's good premium soil. That is my preferred option. If budget is really tight, we get some recycled hardwood or something from the tip, maybe, or wherever you can grab it that hasn't had any sort of chemicals put on it. And make your own beds out of that. If you really don't want to build anything, but you still want to get started, have a go at just in ground. That's how most mm. of us all started. Get rid of a square meter of grass, And then hill up that soil in some little mini furrows so that you've got a bit of a raised up area and that's where you plant your plants. And maybe buy seedlings first rather than trying from seed. Seedlings aren't that expensive. If you go to local markets, they usually sell like 10 seedlings for a dollar or something and grow what you like. Find out what's in season at that time too because you want to grow at the right time of year and get something you like to eat. Don't get something that's easy to grow or someone thinks is easy to grow. It's important to encourage you to keep getting at it and and having success is growing something you like eating. So then plant them in that space and nurture it and give it a bit of fertilizer, liquid fertilizer, whatever, and then have success first in a small bit and then start empire building as you Mm. go. Nice and easy, nice and slow. Doesn't overwhelm you. And you'll soon have a big veggie garden because it's inevitable once you get success in that first square meter, you're going to, I'm sure I'm positive, you're going to want more.
0: Yeah. And if you have no idea what to plant, just put a top of
1: a pineapple in and you'll be all right.
0: Yeah. <laughs> just bug it in, just throw yeah. it on the ground and it'll be done. Yeah. Well, <laughs> any pineapple
1: you've got from the supermarket, <laughs> cut the head off it. Don't even try rooting it or anything in a glass of water, all that stuff you see online. Just Bung it straight into the ground, wherever, even in the shade, and it'll grow.
0: Yeah, they're growing crazy at my house. Oh, yeah. right, how can people find you if you've got the YouTube channel, Self-Sufficient Me? Have you still got the website going up as well?
1: Yeah, yeah, Self-Sufficient Me. I have a website editor now, Celia, who does a lot of my repurposing of my videos and transcribes them onto blog form for those who like reading more. And we're also documenting more plants and she's doing her own writing. And I have a couple of other writers from around the world even that do recipes and all that as well. So we're trying to get the recipes from something they've grown. So it's that orientated, not necessarily just recipe for recipe sake. They've grown the produce and then they're making something out of what they've grown. So we're developing more and more on the website. Then I've got my YouTube channel, Self Sufficient Me, And I have a forum, Self-Sufficient Culture, the culture of self-sufficiency. Not a lot of people know about that, but I'm also on there a little bit. I should be on there a lot more. And that's a good way for people to get into like our self-sufficient community and an easy way and a free way to ask questions and that type of thing and get access. And yeah, like I said, we're developing a new channel called self sufficient Me. Hopefully we can grow that into a really good fun channel as well. And that'll have some crossover with like getting fish and fish frames and making fish fertilizer mm. and cooking with fish and with the produce from the yard. Do you still have the Patreon up and running? I do have a Patreon page. People can go on that. I have a $25 tier if people join that, which I have quite a few. They get a VIP email and they get priority access. See, I get probably 10,000 comments and emails a month. It's impossible, even if I had a team, to answer everyone. So that's why I created that so that uh, those people then can can get access if they really need to or want to. And I can mentor them getting their garden set up or whatever.
0: Yeah. Now, are you on TikTok is the next question. I am on TikTok, <laughs> yes. Are you doing um, any
1: dances or anything I, like that? <laughs> look, I'm not a fan of TikTok, to be honest. I'm there because I understand that the young people like it and some older people. And so what we do on TikTok is all my stupid stuff, like <laughs> I think one got to a million views the other day in a short period of time was I was talking about beans and I farted. <laughs> it was a fake fart, but you know that type of thing does well on TikTok. <laughs> it's not it's not like premium gardening content, but if you want a bit of a laugh, all my terrible bits put on there and on Facebook, I'm there as well. Yeah. The different yeah. platforms that I'm on.
0: Wonderful. Now, the last question I like to ask my guests is to plug something that makes you feel good. So it doesn't have to be anything related to what we've been talking about today. It's just something that you might be watching or listening to or a book you're reading or a self-care activity. Or it could be something that you're doing in the garden that you can pay it forward so that maybe some of the listeners that are tuning in can go, yeah, I might check that out too.
1: There's a whole lot of things. I mean, like YouTube, if people are listening to this on a podcast and haven't got onto YouTube and looked at the gardening section on YouTube, there's like a plethora of content creators. There's thousands of them. And there's lots of little channels that are very consistent and constantly doing their best to entertain and to inform and they're not making a heck of a lot of money out of it at all but they're out there every day doing it just for the passion of sharing gardening so i would say get on youtube and just search gardening and then just have a play and go through all those thousands of content creators just creating content about gardening, no matter what you sort of like to garden. It could be flowers, it could be fruit, and veg, whatever. But that would be my broad thing that I would say. And of course, Mindful Men, get subscribed to that podcast and keep listening to Simon.
0: Oh, I love it. Thank you so much. And as a content creator myself, that's how I find other content. As well, and see what other people are doing, and like to support them as best as I can as well. So appreciate the plug there, and thanks so much for sharing that insight. But Mark, I've had an amazing time having a chat with you. I'm so pumped that you came on, and I was one of those ten thousand emails a month where it popped out. You're like, oh, I might check this out, and and I'm so thankful for your time today. Thanks so much for coming on.
1: Uh, thank you, Simon. Thanks for the invite. It's been a pleasure talking with you. It's been really good fun, mate
0: well that's a wrap for today's episode and i hope you got some value from it if anything triggered your mental health today please reach out to your support networks also if you love what you heard be sure to subscribe to the show and share it with your mates for more from mindful men you can check us out on instagram and youtube and i'll throw the links to these pages in the show notes below but until next time stay mindful